Hi, everyone. So I'm Jax, as Nick mentioned, and Steve and I have been married for 21 years this year. We have a 19-year-old son who is interning with us, leading the youth at our church, and going to study next year. And then we have a 17-year-old son, Ethan, who is in grade 11. And then we have a little girl. Our sons are both big, real boys. And then God gave us a precious little girl four years ago. She's 10 years old. Her name is Trinity. And yeah, she has grown us all hugely, including our boys who didn't realize so much about girls. And it's lovely. I grew up with three brothers, so I'm used to the robustness of boys. Every now and then they tease her, tease her, tease her over the edge, and she bursts into tears, and you can see they are so surprised and devastated all at the same time, and then they have to try and reel back the boisterousness. So, anything else? It's wonderful being with you. I should have said that. Thank you. Awesome. Good morning. Good to be here this morning. Uh, after that uh, incredible time of worship that we had, feels like we've been eating tiger steaks and drinking gunpowder soup. And uh, I've got a message that I believe God's given me for this church. But it's, it's a real privilege to have friendships that span decades across churches, provinces, and even across the world. And uh, so we don't take for granted the friendship that we've had with Nick and Shelley over many years. We were in the same church together. We've now both moved to different churches and areas. Uh, Grant and Shantz were also in that church. We were friends with them all the way back then. And to see, and still friends now, even amazing. Um, <laughs> but just to be part of what God's doing in building His church over many, many years. I was born in the Western Cape. We lived in Gauteng for a few years as a kid. And then in multiple towns in KZN, and uh, been part of church my whole life, because my parents became Christ followers just before they got married. And that really was the change story in kind of our family's history, if that makes sense. Today I'd like to share from the first three chapters of the book of Revelation. I'm not going to read all of the chapters, but that's where I feel the message for today has come from. Often when I preach at other churches, I don't want to risk a new recipe so I often take stuff that I've used a bit before, rework it a little bit, and then preach it. But for this visit, I felt like God gave me a brand new message from scratch. So I'm, this is a new recipe, if I could say, but really a word for this church at this time. And I'd like to give you a little bit of context to this book of Revelation um, for those that are unfamiliar with it. It was most likely written by John, the apostle. Jesus had 12 disciples, the one that called himself the disciple whom Jesus loved, his name was John, he lived the longest. And as an old man, probably AD 90, this revelation happened or came to him. Uh, in context of that century, Jesus would have been crucified 60 years before. All of John's peers, the other apostles, were martyred for their faith somewhere along. And he's the last man standing. He's imprisoned on an island called Patmos. And as this old man, he's put in prison for his faith, Jesus Christ appears to him and gives him this message. So imagine being John back all of those years. He says on the Lord's day, that was the Sunday, I was in the spirit. And he said, um, this is Revelation 1 and verse 12. He says, and when I turned, he has this noise behind him. When I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. So the first thing he sees are these lampstands. 
And he says, among the lampstands was someone like a son of man. Now, the son of man you immediately know is Jesus because that's what Jesus said about himself. And John says he was dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool. The, we, we sang words in the last song that were taken from this chapter. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow. His eyes were like blazing fire. Trying to imagine what this vision was like, he looks at the eyes of Jesus, he says it's like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace. His voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. And coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Now, bear in mind, when Jesus was alive, walking on earth in a human body, time at the Last Supper where he actually had his head on Jesus' chest, like a real picture of this brotherly love and affection, they used to talk and walk together. But now the glorified Jesus, the majestic, risen Jesus, is so awe-inspiring that his closest human friend falls down on his face, he says, as though dead. Just poof, collapse. Then he, Jesus, placed his right hand on me and said, do not be afraid. When, whenever God says, don't be afraid, it's usually because that person he's speaking to was terrified. So saying to John, it's all right, you're not going to die right now. Don't be afraid. I am the first and the last. This isn't my main message, but isn't that I'm at the very beginning, at the very end of everything, Jesus says. I am the living one. I was dead. Now look, I'm alive forever and ever. And by the way, I hold the keys of death and Hades. Hold the keys of death and hell. In other words, Christ has conquered everything, including death, including hell. He's just the ultimate victor is essentially this picture. And then he goes on to say, and he says to John, I want you to write now what I'm, I'm about to tell you. And he says, the mystery of the, the lampstands and the stars is this, is that the lampstands represent seven local churches. And the letter you're going to write, I want you to write to those seven churches. And the stars that I'm holding in my hand are the messengers of those seven churches. That's in verse 19 and 20. And there are a few things that stand out to me here by way of introduction, and I'm heading somewhere with this. But what astonishes me and inspires me, firstly, is that Jesus stands present in each local church. The starting point of this vision are these seven lampstands. And then John is so absorbed with this picture of Jesus, and Jesus says, okay, by the way, I'm appearing to you now, and this mystery, do you want to know why there's seven lampstands here? Because those are the seven churches that you're about to write this letter to. Bay City Church, the Bible metaphor for our local churches is of a lampstand. Now, you've got to go back 2,000 years to understand how important that lampstand was, giving light, etc., etc. But when Jesus looks at this local church, he doesn't just see a community of people, all of us figuring our stuff out, and some of us have good weeks, bad weeks, usually a mixture of both. He sees a local church 
as well that's a lampstand that gives light to a city and to the world. And the lampstand was his idea. This isn't just a a collection of like-minded people trying to do some good in the world. There are amazing groups like that. But the local church is much has got a much higher purpose and vision than that. It's Jesus Christ planted a lampstand in Port Elizabeth 19 years ago. It happens to have the name Bay City Church. Whatever our church names are, however fancy or unfancy we think they are, it's a lampstand in the eyes of Jesus. And the beautiful thing to me about this vision is that Jesus is standing right at the lampstands. It's not like there's a lampstand down there and Jesus up there in heaven and him shooting firebolts and saying, tension up, guys. He's present amongst his church. You could imagine in in a spiritual sense this morning, Jesus Christ is present here with us as we are shining light, as we're the lampstand. And it's not just like the earthly picture of Jesus in, in the human body. This is the risen, exalted King, this robe and sash that he wears is the representation and the vision of his kingly glory. John says his face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. I don't know if you were as foolish as me as a kid, but like you try and play a game where you stare at the sun as long as you can. About three seconds and then you've got these spots. You can't stare at the physical sun with And you can't look at the face of the sun, S-O-N, without being dazzled by the extreme glory of who he is. Blind us, like in the best possible sense. His voice, like rushing waters, is a powerful voice. I've stood at different waterfalls in different places. I had the privilege early this year of of going to the Niagara Falls for the first time. Standing at the Niagara Falls, it's just water rushing. And John hears Jesus speak. He says his voice is like that, rushing waters, representing the incredible power of God. One of the sadnesses for me is that it's, it's become quite fashionable for people who used to be involved in local churches to no longer be involved. And COVID kind of exacerbated some of that. But COVID's not the excuse. And in my city and in my, where, where we do life and where you guys do life, there's many people who every Sunday used to be connected to a lampstand and somehow believe that it's okay to just have a connection with Jesus, but I don't need anybody else around me. And that, that's a great, it's of great damage to us because Christ is in his lampstand. There might be people who think it's okay to leave the lampstand and have a private relationship. Guess who has never left the lampstands? is Jesus himself. He is still present in the lampstand amongst the local churches. The second thing that stands out to me about this incredible vision is the stars in Jesus' hand. He says he holds the messenger in his hands. Now, the theologians have debated, actually, the meaning of this word. In, in Greek, it reads, he hold, the seven stars are the seven angelos. That word can be translated into English as angel or as messenger. Now, it doesn't make sense really that it's, the, it's an angel, like a literal angel, because Jesus goes on to say, tell the angelos the message for the church. It doesn't make sense for Jesus to say to John, talk to an angel, and the angel's going to talk to the church. Jesus, it, the Bible doesn't work like that. Most likely that this word should be translated messenger, and a lot of Bible scholars believe that it's actually, it's like the, the lead elder of those churches is the messenger. So the lead elder's been told, there's a message now coming for your local church. Pay attention. 
and it's, it's such an interesting picture, is that the stars, the, the lead elder, is held in the hands of Jesus. For me, that speaks of protection, but it also speaks of examination. I have the privilege, Jackie and I have the privilege of leading a team. It's a difficult role in some respects, and it has great privilege in other respects. But this verse has brought me comfort in the toughest days when I don't know what to do. I feel under tremendous pressure sometimes. I'm held by the hand of Jesus. And then there's other days where I get overconfident, and then I realize I'm held in the hand of Jesus. He's looking directly at me. Hey, Wimble, you're the little guy, and I'm the king. I hold you in my hand, and I stand amongst the lampstands. And then the, the third thing that stands out to me from this vision is that Christ has a message for each church. It's an individual message for each church. So to give you a little bit of the geography and what is today Turkey, it used to then be a Roman Empire called Asia Minor. And there were seven key churches in Asia Minor, and John was given now a specific message for each of those churches. They weren't the only churches in the world, but seven in the Bible represents completeness. So it's like these messages can be spread out for other churches as well. But these churches, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, uh, Laodicea, those seven churches are about to get an individual letter from Jesus. And that's what Revelation 2 and 3 are. Now, earlier, not this year, 2019, a friend, of, a friend and myself uh, did a self-drive trip through this part of Turkey to visit these sites of where these ancient cities were. And it was really interesting to, to spend a couple of days on to what it obviously was then and to be going to these different cities. Some of them have got big ruins. Some of them just got a few little ruins. But there's, in, these letters are still held up and recorded on some of the sites. You see these plaques to the, the, the church in Laodicea. And there's a remains... We walked over the remains of a 4th century church in Laodicea that was built on the original church building that was there all these years ago. And the Apostle John is about to hand deliver a letter to them, and it's very interesting what the format of these letters are. So imagine now you're part of these churches, and, and the other thing to know about when these letters were written is that the church was in a time of great persecution. In our country at this time, we are privileged that we can easily worship God in churches. The message of Christ is fairly well known through our country. Even if not everyone agrees with it, it's well known. But in those days, if you were found to be a, a leader in a Christian church, you could just as easily face the lions in the um, Roman games as you were to be put in jail or put to death by the sword. And that, that's actually the theme of the entire book of Revelation, is a theme of perseverance is in spite of all the difficulties coming your way, churches, stand firm. This is why Jesus is speaking to the churches. And each letter in Revelation 2 and 3, there's these seven letters to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamon, Thyatira, etc. Each letter's got a similar format. And the format's kind of fourfold, if I was to simplify it. It starts, every letter starts off with a revelation of Jesus. So it says, these are the words of Him. And out of Revelation 1, it picks two or three of the things that we've mentioned. And so it's lifting up. The letter starts off with, look at Jesus. Then each letter has the words, I know, in it. To five of the churches, Jesus says directly, I know your deeds. 
To a sixth church, he says, I know your afflictions. And to the seventh church, he says, I know where you live. In other words, Jesus is not just, again, sending the message from a distance, say, hey, chaps, hang in there. It's going to be okay. Jesus is sending a message to each church saying, I know your deeds, your actions. I know what you're doing in public. I know what you're doing in private. And he then gives an audit of each church. To all of the seven churches, most of them, there's something good and something they need to fix. And one of them, there's just fixing that needs to be done. But he says things to the churches like, I know your deeds, that you've stood strong, yet I hold this against you. Some of you are giving way to that false teaching. Some of you are doing this and that. So he gives an audit of the local church. And then every letter finishes off with promise of reward. And the wording goes something like this, to him who overcomes, I will give dot, dot, dot. And so what I did recently is the first and the last part of these seven letters, I just wrote them all down in a list, like, all the revelation of Jesus segments, I just wrote down. So you read through it, these are the words of him, da, 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 da. You come to it and like, oh, Jesus is amazing. And then the promise of standing firm till the end, these are all the promises listed there. Some of them are a little cryptic, but they're overall incredibly encouraging. It's like, boy, I want to stand firm to the end. And Jesus, via John, hand, hand delivers a letter to each church. Imagine being that church. John the closest church there was Ephesus. They would probably have got their letter first. Imagine on Sunday, you arrive at church, and uh, the leaders of the church say, guys, we've got a letter from the Apostle John. That's going to be the sermon for today. And they unwrap the scroll, and you read about this revelation of Jesus, and then there's a very direct letter to your church, and it starts off like this. These are the words of the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds. I know your hard work. I know your perseverance. Boy, you go home challenged. Jesus Christ knows about us. He knows the things we've done well and the things we need to fix. And through these letters and through these first three chapters, to me, there's two big questions that I'd like to throw out. The first question is this, is what will get us through times of suffering and hardship? The entire book of Revelation is written to Christians who are in desperate suffering and hardship. The question, what will get us, 2023, as a local church through times of suffering and hardship? I'll come to the second question in a minute. But it seems to me if I study these three chapters that the things that will get us through suffering and hardship, the primary thing is knowing Christ, looking at Him, remembering that Jesus is the one who walks among the churches, that Jesus is the one who has fire in His eyes, the fire to warm us up on the cold days, the fire to burn away sin and difficulties that we face, Christ Himself, a reminder that Jesus Christ has this sharp double-edged sword that comes out of his mouth. That's a constant Bible metaphor to God's power. That, that sword, Hebrews says, goes far beyond just human stuff. It, it gets down into the heart of the matter, into our souls, and divides the things that are truly godly and the things that are just of ourselves. That's what God's Word does. That's how He wants to speak to us. 
He's not only holding the lead elder in his hand, he's holding every single one of us in his hand. He's got us. He's looking after us. What's going to get me through the tough difficulties that life brings my way is knowing that Christ is holding me. This isn't just the white knuckle club where I'm hanging on desperately hoping that Christ comes before I fall off the edge of the cliff. He is holding me much more than I'm holding on to him. It's of great encouragement and challenge to me that he knows us. In each letter, he says, I know your deeds. How many of you every now and then, like on your worst days, have thought, nobody really sees what I do, nobody really cares, nobody notices me? Maybe go home after church service, you think, oh, I just slipped in and slipped out, and nobody even said hello to me, really. That probably never happens here, because you guys are super friendly. But in our church, some people have complained about that, and, and you're like, you're grappling through stuff, and you think, no one even picked up the phone and phoned me. And then I've heard other people complain. I was going through some tough stuff, and people just kept phoning me. <laughs> but they don't really understand. I had somebody tell me this last week. You know, I was going through some stuff, and people just kept phoning. But I knew that they didn't really care. They, were just, they, they just you know, like wanted the gossip. And so I didn't really tell them my story. So, and, but you feel alone, isolated on occasion. Then you go to the book of Revelation, you realize that Christ never forgotten me for one single second. The book of Isaiah says, even though a mother could somehow forget her child, if that was possible, I could never forget you. I know everything about you, Steve, whatever your name is. You think other people don't care. Well, it's not actually about other people. It's about me knowing you. I know your deeds. I know your hard work. I know your perseverance. I know where you live. I know the struggles you're going through, but I also know that there's some stuff you're doing that you need attention up on. I know you. I know everything about you. I've got you in my hand. I'm keeping you. I'm transforming you. I'm holding on to you. Last weekend at our church, uh, Jack's had pulled together this awesome women's conference, and one of the speakers that she invited to speak was a lady named Yolandi Corky. I was given a copy of Yolandi's book last year, and what she went through in terms of pain and suffering, absolutely hectic. She shared with the woman on the Saturday afternoon some of her story, and then on Sunday morning, last Sunday, I was sitting listening to her talk about the subject, God and suffering. For those who, 2009, them plus their two young children went to Yemen as missionaries there. They were working as teachers. And one day after four years there, they would, her and Pierre were driving somewhere, got abducted by Al-Qaeda and held for ransom. It wasn't a religious abduction. It was for financial gain that they could trade them, uh, get money, hostage money. For the next, <coughs> I beg your pardon, eight months, Pierre and Yolandi were in captivity. Didn't know where their children were and if their children were alive or not, and the children didn't know if the parents were alive or not. They were in brutal, harsh conditions out in the Yemeni desert. After eight months, Yolandi was freed as a gesture of goodwill by the captors so that they could get money for Pierre's release. There was a whole lot of negotiations. It was very difficult, the whole thing. But after another 11 months, so Pierre was in captivity for 19 months on the day of his release with people all around South Africa and all around the world praying. There was a botched rescue attempt and Pierre was shot dead by his captors. 
all the prayers that we're praying for is safe release or somehow not answered. And this lady, his widow, I think that happened in 2014, now nine years later, is standing here last Sunday in our church. I've read her whole story. The book is long. It's called 558 Days. That's how long he was in captivity for. And she's talking about the things that have kept her going through all of that suffering. I listen to her story firstly. I think I've never actually had a bad day in my life by comparison to all that she's been through. But she says this. She says, the two things that have kept me going day after day after day, firstly, is God's Word. She said when they were in captivity, they had no Bible. They had no change of clothes, no suitcase, anything. They're just like that, ripped. And they were given some pieces of paper from an exercise book and a pencil, and in the bad light that they were in, would write down some of the verses they could remember. And then that was their Bible for all those months, these verses, reading them over and over again. She said there was a three-week patch that she went into such a deep, dark hole in her captivity that she, she didn't feel like she could hear God. She, she was just in like a desperate, depressive state. She couldn't pray. She could hardly think. She was just in this dark state. And she said the thing that helped her keep going was Christ shining through her husband, Pierre. And he said to her, we won because we're married. So even though you can't pray, I'll pray for both of us. And even though you can't read the Bible, I'll read for both of us. And he would just speak these words that would hide bread and eight, nine times a day would use bread and a little bit of water that they had to have communion together. What are the things that are going to keep you and I going through suffering and difficulty if and when it happens in our lives? It's not the good feeling I had last week. The good feelings are great. But God's Word, presence of Christ, and Him shining through others, supporting us, like Pierre was to Yolandi, very, very challenging story. The second question that stands out to me from these verses is, what is Christ's message for, his local, for our local church? Jesus had a message for every church there, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, etc. What's his message for us, for Bay City Church at this time? And I don't pretend to have all of the message, but I feel like God's dropped a couple of things on my heart to bring to you as a message today as well. I've already spoken about he knows you, he cares for you, loved, he knows, etc. <coughs> but I, there's three parts to this message that I bring and submit to you today. The first part of the message is examine your heart. Examine your heart. I'm drawing that were written. Jesus speaks to one of the churches and he says, I know your deeds. You've forsaken your first love. You've become lukewarm in your relationship with Christ, he says to another church. And this isn't me coming down with a harsh message because Nick phoned me and said, hey, Steve, I need you to come in. No, this is a message to me as much as it is to you. Let's examine our heart and see that our faith is putting down deep roots and growing towards Christ. In the, the city of Laodicea, there's now just ruins um, in modern-day Turkey, but there's a, a massive tourist hotspot there. There's these amazing hot springs. If you look on the map, it's called Pamukkale nowadays. But back then, there were three Roman cities, Laodicea, Hierapolis, and Colossae. 
So the book of Colossians was written to Colossae. This letter was written to Laodicea. And where Laodicea was, was kind of um, a little removed from the other two, but Hierapolis had these amazing hot springs, which to this day are a tourist attraction. Colossae was up in the mountains, had beautifully cold water. And they would transport that water by aqueduct to Laodicea, an above-ground aqueduct. And by the time the cold water had left Colossae and got to Laodicea, it was now lukewarm. It was tepid. And if you went to Hierapolis and you got hot water from there, by the time you got back home in Laodicea, it would be lukewarm. It was the town of the lukewarm water. That was like the, you know, a little bit of what they were known by. And in the message God gives to the church at Laodicea, he says, you guys are neither hot nor cold. Because you're lukewarm. You're actually not bringing the refreshing cold water nor the, nor the healing properties of the hot water, which is what would happen in the hot springs. I'm not bringing this message today because I believe there's, there's a whole lot of lukewarmness here, but when, when Jesus says examine your heart, it's so that we can take a step forward so that we can ensure we're bringing the cold, refreshing water to people and the healing property of Christ our Savior, that's the hot water to people as well. Examine our hearts. The second part of the message I believe God's given me for you is that there's a whole lot of new life he's wanting to bring about in the life of this church. And I'm, I'm adding up a few things here that I'm, I'm observing and hearing. I've been told over this weekend and before about the number of young people that have come into the church. The Alpha Marriage that you've done, um, the, the series that was done on a Friday night with youth and young adults. People that have been added into the life of this church. There are also some babies that have been born into this church recently in the physical. And this is amazing physical new life. It's a great way of church growth is just add, add some more members and tell them you're coming to church with me on Sunday. But for me, all of that speaks, it's a physical sign of a spiritual reality that God wants to do a whole lot more of. And I believe Bay City Church is a whole lot of new spiritual life that God's wanting to bring into even more than has been previously. An exponential growth in terms of people putting their faith in Christ, new spiritual birth but also the new life that God wants to bring about inside of us, that there's some people that you maybe you've, you've just sat back reluctant to get a little more involved, and, and there's a new life, a new bubble of stepping forward and, and connecting in. And there's others who might be switching roles, you're switching from doing this to doing something else, but it's because of new life. And there's a fizz and a pop, if I could use those words, of God-given excitement and bubble of new life that He's wanting to do in both young and old. Everybody in between. That town of Laodicea, we spent one night there. But it was a night that changed our physical lives for the rest of them. I got, we got uh, to these hot springs and we, we'd booked into a place to stay, my, me and my buddy Phil. And we'd traveled long and hard. We were only going to see the ruins the next day. So we just like driven the whole day. We were hot and just tired and at about 10 p.m. that time, I phoned home just to say hello to my wife and find out how you're doing, how things going at home. Just, you know, I think loving, husbandly kind of phone popped out in the phone call. She said, by the way, I heard the story this morning of a little girl who they're looking for a family to adopt her. And yeah, it was an amazing story. And then very jokingly, just said, maybe it's something we should pray about. And I was so tired. 
and I traveled so hard. Did I mention what a long day I had? And I put down that phone and I was so irritated. And I said to my buddy, Phil, can you believe it? We are continents apart. And the question Jackie asked me is, maybe we should pray about adopting a little girl. And in the town of Laodicea, where there's now only ruins, we have a phone call that brings about new life in the physical in our family. The last thing I think about when I fall asleep that night is this little girl who doesn't have a family. I know nothing about her. The first waking thought I have the next morning in the, close to the ruins of Laodicea is a little girl who doesn't have a family. And that phone call sparked a journey three weeks later. This little girl arrives in our family for the very first night and she's never left. She's our girl. We received the adoption papers and the Department of Social Development sent us a personal letter with our names across the top that say this little girl, her trinity, all the adoption has been formalized. It's as if she was born into your family. It's a beautiful thing about what God does with us spiritually is he adopts us and he adopts us into a family. I believe that there's new life going to come into Bay City Church in extreme ways. Nick and Shelley, I feel like there's a, a uh, word over you guys of new life as in the physical, I'm, I'm not prophesying, the date of when you go to be with the Lord, but in the, in the natural, you're probably in the final third of your life, going into that final third. And I believe God's just gave me a word for you is that you're going to have greater impact in this final third than in the previous two thirds. There's going to be a, an aspect of fathering and mentoring and praying for others that will seem in 20 years' time totally unlikely to you if you were to look back. That there's a pulse of new life that will, all the life that's already happened is even greater than all of that in terms of the impact that you guys are going to have for the kingdom going forward. And the third and final part of the message I felt like God give me for you, and I'm, I'll, I'm coming into land after this, is new opportunities. Examine your heart, new life, and thirdly, new opportunities. I believe God is going to give this lampstand new opportunities in this city to reach into more schools than you've reached into before, more communities. The university and students, I believe, is going to be a major growth point for new life. I believe that there's going to be many churches that will be planted out of this church. I don't know where, but I think it's going to impact many other towns as well. And I believe there's going to be new opportunities into different nations as well. And when God opens up doors like that, it can't just be one or two people that are involved. He always, there's more that get connected and we send people, they go, but we pray for them, financial support, etc. I believe that over the next few years, so many doors are going to be opening up that you're going to be hard-pressed to know which ones to go through when in terms of the space and opportunity that God gives this local church. And the, the impact of your light shining, is not going, it's not just for you and your family. When God joins us together in a lampstand, it's not just that I can have a good faith and my family can go together with me, but that our lives, together with everyone else's, are used to impact people and communities far beyond us. The last two chapters of Revelation, at the end of this whole book now, God gives a picture of the new heaven and the new earth. And he says, he promises us that there'll be no more pain, no more suffering, no more tears. We'll get a new heavenly body. 
It's as if He's letting us know that after all the hard work here on earth is done, there's eternal reward waiting for us forever and forever and ever. You and I all get just one life. We all get seven days a week and 24 hours in a day. God's not causing, calling us to overwork, etc., etc., but He is calling us to count for Him. Jesus is standing among this lampstand and giving a message to this church. To examine your heart, new opportunities, new life. May God bless you. Nick, over to you. Thank you. Why don't we stand to our feet together? Jesus, this morning we want to thank you that you are the risen, exalted King. You're awesome. You're powerful. Your face is like the sun shining in all its brilliance. How do we keep going through suffering and difficulty by looking at you? I believe that you've given me some of the word that you've got for this church today. You consider this local church to be your church family. Why don't you just say to God and you'll pray to him, Father, my heart is wide open. I want to examine it. I thank you for the new life that you're going to bring and I want to jump at the opportunities you've got for me. I want to say yes to the things you've got for me. Father, I want to thank you for this incredible lampstand. Thank you for the amazing impact that they've already have, that they already have had thank you for your message of encouragement that says there's going to be new doors, new life, new opportunities but that we need to examine our heart to make sure that we're following you wholeheartedly. We love you we worship you and honor you today in Jesus name